Well, Jay's in the Philippines, and I believe Brian is in um, Kansas, I believe. Is that right? Kentucky. So they had to dig deep today and go after the sixth string. So I absolutely love that song. When Curtis uh, reached out to me and asked what songs uh, we'd be singing or what I'd like to sing, um, that was a song that just absolutely has always been one of my favorites. Um, just something that speaks to me. It's just the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And that lyrics is just so incredible to, incredible to me that he chased after us, that he, when we weren't in safety, he left the people that were in safety, and he came after our hearts. And it's just always been an a awesome song. I think Katie showed it to me years ago, so it's not a new song, but it just has amazing lyrics. And this is going to lead us where we're diving into today. Um, we're taking a little break from Timothy today, and, but we're going to still track with the writings of Paul. We're going after Colossians, and um, that's what we're going to switch over today. And last week, um, it's still writing of Paul, what Colossians is, um, meant for the church of uh, Coloss. And um, just an excellent, excellent scripture we're going to be studying today. But last week, Paul was talking to Timothy. And he was encouraging Timothy on the widows of the church. There had been some issues within um, that church where uh, the widows weren't, be, weren't being taken care of. And it's something that providing for the widows of the church is an integral part of the church. Brian did a good job pointing out three separate things. Um, we are called to honor widows. We need to help the families and teach them to honor their widows. And we need to wisely honor widows. If we honor widows, we're honoring the God that created us and the situation that they're in. So honoring the widows is something that is an integral part of the church. And I, something that really stuck with me when uh, Brian was teaching last week was he said, we've got to put a plan in place. And I know this may not be what he intended, but I think that's exactly what is needed. And it's what, what is needed in every aspect of our lives. We have to have a plan. And that's what bring us, brings us to our passage today in Colossians. Um, Paul had never been to this church. He'd never seen it. He'd never exactly met the people of Colossians. Paul was actually in prison the time that he wrote this and wanted to encourage the believers because he knew they were struggling. It was likely that Paul heard about this through a friend of his, Epaphras, which we find in Philemon 123, which Epaphras came to serve Paul during his time of imprisonment. But he probably came also to inform Paul that regarding the dangerous teachings the Colossians were under and what they were hearing, they were under an attack of false teachers. The false teachers were undermining the deity of Jesus and saying he was not actually God. So Paul addresses this head on through uh, Colossians 1 through 3. And it was incredibly important to Paul that the church knew the deity of God and how God loved his people. So that's where we're going to pick up in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And you may not be able to read that. That's smaller than what I thought. But if you got good eyesight, if you can stand with me, and we're going to read this together. 
Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can be seated and let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the time that you've given us, God, just to dive deep into your word, God, and just to understand um, the writings that you have given us to study and to apply. And then, God, as we take this time to just take a deep dive into your word, God, I pray that you would allow us to hear your heart, uh, hear what you, you would have us to hear. And that we might take it through this time of Thanksgiving, through this next week, God, and that we might be able to apply it. Thank you for your love. In your name I pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul is teaching his readers in this scripture what the Christian life looks like. He's addressed the false teaching, and now he wants to show them what the Christian life looks like. Everything in chapter 3 leading up to this passage shows us that those who have been born again in Christ have put to death Every, everything that takes away our attention away from God. Our life is now surrounded by Christ, and we have eliminated anything that is not part of Christ in the pursuit of Christ. In Colossians 3, 12 through 17, Paul is continuing to show what a life raised with Christ looks like. And beginning in verse 12, Paul describes what spiritual clothing followers, a, the, the followers of Jesus must wear. And he gives us a little motivation here. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The motivation being, who are we in Christ? We are holy and beloved. We are God's holy and God's beloved. We have come to this realization now that we are in Christ of what God has done for us. And we can so easily forget who we are in this. Those of us who have had the privilege to raise kids can privilege or curse, which, whichever day it is, we can relate to this passage. We love our children so much when they're young, they fall, they skin up their knee, they bang their head and get a nod on it, and we just want to take that pain away from them as they cry. Well, not my boys, but my girl I do. So they, the boys can deal with it. <laughs> but the pain that our kids take it sometimes, you know, maybe when they come into the years of being a teenager, maybe they have their first heartbreak or their first friend betrays them or something happens that really speaks to your heart and you just want to take that pain away. And so we see that love for our children, but this type of love only pales in comparison to how much Jesus loves us and desires to show us that we are his children and to show us the work that he has done for us. John 1:12 states, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And then we often dilute how we feel about ourselves through how the world views things. We look at it through the lens of maybe it's our job and the stress that we're in, or maybe we look at 
ourselves through the friends we associate with or what kind of class we're in in society or maybe it's the social status or maybe it's just how our life fits together. We look at ourselves and we judge ourselves based off this. But if we could only see ourselves through the statement, God's holy and beloved, I think this would melt away any insecurities that we have, any doubts that we have of ourselves as an individual. And Paul wants to show, God wants to show us this and give us this confidence and this motivation through this holy and beloved. And then Paul brings us into what our life shows as a child of God through Christian character. We look in verse 12 and we see the things that we have as, uh, as believers, as the children of Christ. We now have these compassionate hearts. We have kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. They're all characteristics of what we have been clothed in, what we're surrounded by. And just as people see the physical clothing, shirts, pants that we see with uh, everybody that we look at, they should always also see the spiritual clothing that we have as believers in Christ. So the theme that we have seen through this letter in Colossians has shown us the characteristics that we already have when we walk in him. But why do we have these? Well, it's because these are the characteristics that God has. God has been compassionate towards us. God has been quite kind towards us. He showed us humility and meekness, and he has shown us patience with our sins. Only when we see what God has done for us can our lives show these spiritual characteristics. When we recognize that God has done this for us, then we can show this. It becomes part of us, and it's easier to show. So he was our ultimate example. To say this in another way, when we forget and refuse to not acknowledge what God has done through Christ, then we fail to show these spiritual attributes. For instance, I lose patience when I forget the patience that God showed me. Or I lack compassion when I forget the compassion that God showed me. We have to have these on the forefront of our minds. That we are God's chosen and beloved. And we will put on these spiritual clothes because we understand what it means to be his child. I oftentimes hope that my kids sense in me um, an ability to try to work hard in life or to be honest in every situation. And I hope that characteristics pass on to my kids. But we all know that as imperfect human, we pass on the bad characteristics as well. And I don't want to share any of my bad characteristics, so I'm going to share Katie's bad characteristic. (laughs) And she didn't know I was going to do this, so I'll probably get slapped later. But Katie has a mild case, severe, of road rage. (laughs) And I don't ride with her no more. It's scary. So the boys every once in a while tell me stories, which we all get a good laugh at. But she is a very impatient person. She likes to get from A to B inside her vehicle. That's why I gave her the biggest vehicle I could, because small vehicles are not good for Katie. So we were, uh, I don't even remember where this was, but I remember she came up on a stoplight one time, and I was riding passenger seat, and I believe it was Jace in the back seat, raises his hands up at like three years old and says, oh, come on. Well, you know that he got that from somewhere, and it wasn't me. <laughs> so <laughs> Jace's characteristic that he, he absolutely got that from his mom. And that's what happens. The things that we do as parents often reflect through our kids. We know that our children will manifest our actions at some time or another. So in 
a positive to that, we are to manifest or show the characteristics of God and what he has given us as his characteristics. So then we move on to verse 13, bearing with one another. I actually misread this the uh, first time it, I read through this. I thought it was just, you know, if somebody annoys me, I have to bear with them. But that's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying, bearing with one another. When we are manifesting the characteristic of God, we are so much more able to bear and help bear each other's burdens in a mutual team effort. This recognition of bearing with each other and bearing each other's burdens is only possible through the grace of Christ. And why is it only possible through the grace of Christ? Because so many times in life, we're so busy bearing our own burdens and trying to keep up with our own life that it's hard to reflect the grace of Christ without the impl- with trying to bear somebody else's burdens. But that's how Christ designed it. He designed us as a team effort. Galatians 6.2 states, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Christ, this bear with one another shores, shores us up when we are weak. A lot of times, you know, it's a team effort. It's to get through certain situations. We have to have the consult. We have to have the time from another person. We have to have that seasoned veteran in Christ that has been through there before to help us walk through that situation. So when we, get, when we see how God has accepted us, welcomed us, and picked us up when we fell short, we will be able to do the same for each other. So the next topic that Paul gets into is in verse 13. says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So I'm going to be straight up honest here. I really struggled with this verse. Um, relative to how Paul instructs us to forgive. Forgiving others as the Lord has forgiven you is the statement he makes here. And I was kind of, I was almost a bit mad at myself um, thinking about this concept of forgiveness. I was I, uh, detailing it, talking to some people that I have Bible study with. I talked to the elders about this. I was almost mad that I didn't understand forgiveness as well as I should have. It seems like we all think that forgiveness is this, you know, Christianity 101, and we think, oh, somebody offends us, just we got to forgive them and move on. You know, we hit that easy button and say, I forgive them and move on. But there's so much more to it. Forgiveness is something I believe is so misunderstood, and it's often improperly taught. So it's very important for us to consider what Paul teaches here about forgiveness, We are commanded in this verse to forgive in the way God forgave us. And at first glance, this, you know, seems easy. But then we start thinking about these tough applications of this. What about physical abuse? What about emotional abuse? What about a spouse being cheated on? What about divorce? What about these things that just wreck us in life? Even to the case of murder. All these things almost seem impossible for us as humans to forgive. And we start questioning this concept of forgiveness in these moments. So Paul is challenging us to think about what God's forgiveness looks like. So what is forgiveness? I've always been taught that, you know, you have to ask the right questions to get the right answers. So we got to define forgiveness. And this is not necessarily the biblical definition, but this is the way I view forgiveness. It is a debt that is canceled, the cancellation of a debt. 
Someone has wronged me and has taken something from me and now owes me that back. Whether it's time, whether it's trust, whether it's money, something has been taken. Oftentimes, this is in the realm of emotion, and it's very hard for us as people to define that within ourselves. It's hard for us to put words around it. We know we're hurt. We know they offended us, but we really don't want to dwell on it and put it in how it affected us. Examples like trust in a relationship um, due to possibly an unfaithful partner. Uh, Examples of abuse in a relationship, physical or emotional. Maybe it's a lie told and your reputation was hurt in the meantime. Or maybe it's even gossip about you and that's untrue. So many things exist in life that forgiveness has its work in. And it's tough. Many times, like we said, it's in this realm of emotion that's hard to put words to. And it's so tough to understand when we're in that moment of pain. I think it's Jay that's always uh, taught me that it's hard to think and feel at the same time. So in these moments where you're just feeling incredibly overwhelmed by this event in life where somebody has done you wrong, then it's hard to think through that. But we have to go back to what Paul tells us here. Forgive as God forgave. So I've Like I said, I've always been taught to ask the right questions to try to find the right answers. So I want to detail out two questions in this realm of forgiveness today. How does God forgive is the first question. And can forgiveness occur without repentance on behalf of the offender? So how did God forgive? I read this quote this week that helped me in the understanding of this. Um, It's just a simple quote, but I'd highly recommend Uh, If you're going through something, this book, it's a book called Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. He states, God took a big risk by announcing forgiveness ahead of time. So what does this mean? Well, we know that God offers forgiveness to anyone who asks, correct? Offer for God is always on the table to forgive. He stated that in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody knows John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In both instances, that forgiveness is in God's hands ready to give. It's ready to put out there. God forgives freely, and he gives it to us through his finished work on the cross. So how does this translate to how we are supposed to forgive? And this is where the rubber meets the road. And I was not really understanding that in the beginning of my study here as much as I hope I'm understanding and able to relay to you now. God offers forgiveness to anyone. So we are going to be ready to offer forgiveness. Now before you kind of shut me out here and throw me out the door, I believe forgiveness is a huge process. I don't think it's understated that the process of forgiveness takes a lot of time and a lot of energy on your part. First, you have to understand what was taken from you, and you have to understand how did that affect me. I don't believe there's a time frame in Scripture necessarily applied to forgiveness as well. Sometimes hurt takes a long time to get over. We got to look at the story of Joseph in the Bible. He was literally thrown into a pit And sold into slavery by his brothers, by his own family. They did this to him. And the process of him forgiving his brother took absolute years. It wasn't until his brothers returned to buy food for the family during the famine. 
in Egypt that he was able to fully uh, forgive his brothers. I do wholeheartedly believe that there needs to be a time is of the essence clause. That's kind of contractual language if you ever dealt with contracts. Time is of the essence. I do believe that forgiveness needs to be approached quickly. If you know that hurt exists within your life, time is of the essence. Because the longer that hurt sits there and the longer that is you're holding that grudge or that, that resentment towards another person, the more time there is for bitterness and resentment to build up within your heart. We need to address it and keep it working and keep working at it until we can move towards that forgiveness. We have to understand forgiveness is a process and it takes time. And a relationship with our Father, lots of prayer, and biblical counsel is always necessary to close that gap of forgiveness. Our hearts, just as freely God gives forgiveness, we have to be ready at any time to forgive. And this is extremely dangerous for us, as it was dangerous for God. One of the things that, you know, I was thinking on this week is it's extremely dangerous in business. I've heard it said that, oh, I keep my business and my Christian life separate. If you ever hear anybody say that, or if you catch me saying it, you have absolute authority to Will Smith my Chris Rock and just smack me upside the face. Because that is absolutely stupid. You cannot separate God in business. You cannot separate God in your life. If you've declared yourself as a Christian, then that goes into every element of your life. That goes into every aspect of your life. And it's tough. It's dangerous. But that's what God has called us to do. So the second question, can forgiveness occur without repentance on behalf of the offender? We were detailing this out in the eldership uh, team on Wednesday, and Brian Herzog brought up an analogy that I really liked, so I stole. And he brought up the analogy of making a payment. So you receive the invoice. We all know the invoice is an offense, no matter what invoice it is. got to pay out, right? So the invoice is the offense, and you take it, and you look at that invoice, and detail it out. And then, okay, it's time to write that check. So you're in preparation of your own heart in the method of forgiveness. That's writing the check. That's preparing your heart. Then you take that check and you mail it. So you are forgiving that person and it's in their court now. So as you mail that check and it's off to make its payment to cancel the debt, that's the forgiveness and your heart is complete. And then something else has to happen. They cash the check. So when they cash the check, this could implicate possibly their repentance. So can forgiveness occur without repentance on behalf of the offender? So in this example of cashing the check, that transaction is not complete until that check is cashed. Again, we look at the model of scripture, forgive as God forgave. God desires a repentant heart to satisfy his forgiveness. This does not mean he does not offer in it and does not mean that God's heart is not pure if someone does not accept his forgiveness. God has done his duty. He has made the way, he has finished the work, and it's up to the offender, us, to accept that. So God's offer of forgiveness always exists. Our offer of forgiveness should also always exist, and we should have a heart as a Christian of forgiveness. But there needs to be an understanding that the relationship from human to human is not restored until that check is cashed, until repentance exists. 
There has, there has to be a repentant heart on the side of the, of the offender for the relationship to be restored. So I want to look at this in two different ways. We have a vertical relationship duty. That vertical relationship is between me and the Father. I would ask this question, is my heart right before the Father when dealing with forgiveness? Then we have a horizontal forgiveness, and that's brother to brother, human to human. Am I holding, I would ask the questions, am I holding this against the offender? Have I canceled the debt, and have I accepted repentance if there is repentance? So I want to move a little deeper into this because I, I don't want you to think that that human to human, that horizontal f- forgiveness is always necessary. And I'm trying to choose my words car- carefully. There are times when that relationship cannot and should not be restored. And let me tell you what I mean. We had mentioned earlier in cases of physical or emotional abuse. Um, we've talked about uh, if there is a direct threat to my life, if um, there's an instance where I know if I move and get repentance from this person, I in myself am in danger, either physically or emotionally. So in this situation, what does the Bible say? In Matthew 5.44, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we do two things. We are still called to forgive. We're still called in that vertical relationship to restore that relationship with our Father, and we're still called to forgive that person. But there may not be a time where repentance occurs. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for them, and we're supposed to love them. The Bible also says in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There is an absolute level of common sense to forgiveness. We don't need to go and ask the wolf for forgiveness because at times that wolf is always going to be the wolf. That wolf is the wolf until God changes their heart. And that's not on us in that element of forgiveness. But God does want us to pray for them. And one thing that I've always found out is that that moment that I start praying for that individual is the moment that my heart changes to love them. And not love them for their sin or what they did to us, but love them as a child of God of whom God loves. So just beware, there are times when repentance cannot exist in our horizontal relationships. This is why that relationship with the Father and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life as a Christian is so important. I am so thankful that God offers us forgiveness freely, and it's hard. It's hard to detail every instance. I cannot sit up here and detail every instance, but I know that the Holy Spirit that lives inside you can help you walk through that. He can guide you in every instance. So we move on to verse 14, and it goes on to say, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Above all these things, put on love. Love is that umbrella. Once we pray for that individual in this method of forgiveness, and once we learn to love them, that love surrounds that relationship. We are concerned about others ahead of ourselves. Love binds everything in perfect harmony. Love is what will prevent splits and strife within that relationship. Love will seek restoration and unity, 
and it will seek unity when you start loving that soul. Paul again is reminding us what God has done for us and how we are to show others. And then through Christ we have peace with God. We are separated from God and the enemies of God, but through the blood of Christ we have peace and do not have wrath against us. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is living with the understanding that I am on Christ's team and I must be following with his I must follow his rules. We let Christ call the shots. He's the coach. He's the decision maker. That Holy Spirit speaking within you can coach you through those situations and help you have peace and love like no other. Then we move on to verse, so we, the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to I refocus on that verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So one of the things that I've always kind of uh, noticed that the moments that I get to take those deep dives into Scripture and I let that Scripture kind of soak in my heart, like it says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, as we mature in Christ, we're, we're not satisfied with the snacks. Snacks are the Sunday morning, or maybe it's a quick Bible study or something like that. As we mature in Christ, that, those don't mean as much to us. It's still needed. But what means more to us are those deep dives in God's Word. And when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then he states, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With thankfulness in your heart, this seems to happen every time that I take a deep dive into God's word. That thankfulness exists for what God has showed me, either I thought I knew, or that now I know better. So I'm thankful for it. I become thankful for his wisdom and guidance in a deeper understanding of who he is. I love how Paul uh, tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 about the importance of God's word. He states in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul lays out so perfectly this benefit of Scripture. The sacred writings, it makes you wise for salvation. It makes you, as a man of God, equipped for every good work. And then Paul moves on in the Colossians in our passage, and three times he, he says at the end of the sentences, be thankful. I am so thankful for forgiveness, and I am thankful for his love, and I am thankful for the scripture that guides us. Thankfulness and relationships are so very important. Forgiveness, love, and gratitude are so paramount to every relationship. Again, forgiveness, love, and gratitude are paramount to every relationship. It seems like that's what every relationship hinges on. And being thankful is so important that in the New Testament, uh, it's mentioned 71 times to be thankful. Paul is 46 of those 71 times. 
The Bible is filled with commands to give thanks to God. Psalms 106.1, multiple verses within Psalms. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, most verses go on to list the reasons why we should thank him. Uh, Psalms 136.3 says, because his love endures forever. Psalm 118.9 says, because God is good and his mercy is everlasting. Feeling and expressing gratitude is good for us. Like any wise father, God wants us to learn to be thankful for all the gifts that he has given us. It's in our best interest that we're reminded of these gifts with gratitude. And without gratitude, we often can become arrogant and self-centered. I've seen it happen. When I start looking at the problem or I start looking at um, the things I need to do or the things that I don't have, I get arrogant. I get self-centered. I start focusing on myself. But with thankfulness in our hearts, we are able to keep that right relationship to the giver of all perfect gifts. Giving thanks reminds us of how much we do have, not how much we do not have. Human beings are prone to selfishness. We're always prone to wanting something more. But by giving thanks, we are continually reminded of God's love and how much he loves us. When we focus on blessings rather than wants, We are always happier. When we start thanking God for the things we usually take for granted, our perspective always changes. We realize that we could not even exist without the merciful blessings of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we are commanded, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we purpose to thank God for everything that he allows to come into our lives, Bitterness stays away. It's almost like it doesn't even have room in there when your heart is filled with gratitude. We cannot be both thankful and we cannot be bitter at the same time. We thank him when he gives us strength to endure it. We thank him for his promise and all things that work together for good, as Romans 8.28 says, to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. So what are we called, as in the title, what are we called to put on? What can we work on this winter? That's kind of what I approach this uh, lesson with is I knew that there was things, you know, that I wanted to dive deeper into in my personal study. So I'd, I'd prayed and asked God, you know, what, what are the things that I need to be studying and that I need to be working on? So as we dive into this Thanksgiving season, I hope that we can challenge ourselves to, as Brian said last week, put a plan in place on how to have that heart of forgiveness so we can learn to live in perfect peace with our Father. We dive deep into forgiveness and know that that is what Christ offered us, and that is what we are the vessel to pass through. I hope we can remind ourselves of the importance it is to spend time in Scripture, to dwell on it, to think on it, and to put a plan in place to ensure we spend time in Scripture every day. And finally, I hope that we can keep a heart of gratitude through this season and plan to have that heart of gratitude. So we will be reminded of how much God loves us and how thankful we are for his love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for the time you've given us, God. I pray that as we go into this Thanksgiving season, God, I pray that you would uh, be forefront in our minds and our gratitude will exist on you. God, I pray that you would help us to learn to love and learn to forgive as you love and forgave. God, and I pray that we would just... uh, Make it part of our daily lives to spend time in your word, God, because they are so important. 
I pray that you would uh, bless the time in packing the boxes. Um, I pray that you would uh, give us strength through the week. And uh, as we gather with family during Thanksgiving, God, I pray that you would just bless that time. In your name I pray. Amen. So I think somebody's supposed to come up and talk about what we're doing next. Helen, there, there you are.